Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back in for a new episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz bringing you another Friday edition. Thanks for your patience uh, for this episode to drop. We got plenty coming your way. Eric Wilson, incoming offensive lineman transfer from Harvard, joins the show for a lengthy conversation on how he ends up in the Penn State Nittany Lions plans for the 2021 season, what his expectations are uh, for this season uh, with a new program and making that Power 5 leap and obviously coming from the Ivy League. Uh, Sean Fitz uh, sat down for him with him for a while, so you'll hear that conversation in just a bit. But Sean, let's circle back to the the big overline storyline topic of the last episode we did, which was the tight end position. We saw the coaching change, uh, Ty Howell, uh, the uh, internal promotion replacing Tyler Bowen, uh, holding stays last Friday as we were recording, decommitting from Penn State. And then Jerry Cross was kind of the the mystery man in this whole process. Where did he stand? Another top 10 prospect at the tight end position. Adam Milwaukee has never visited campus. How would he feel about the whole spot? Broke that silence a little bit. He was pretty quiet for for, for about 48 hours there, it felt like. Uh, but you caught up with him. Yeah, I caught up with him on Friday afternoon. Um, it was it was one of those situations where you know I think he's he's been looking around and checking out, and making sure his options are there if he needed to explore his other options. But but the hiring of Ty Howell kind of you know resonated with him because Ty Howell is one of those guys that he's been talking with from the start. I think he actually talked to Ty Howell before he talked to Tyler Bowen. So this is a relationship that stems back from the beginning of his recruitment. Of course, if you follow Jerry Cross's recruitment, you remember it was all just out of nowhere at one time. And, and all of a sudden he jumped, jumped on board with Penn State. They're happy to have him, obviously. Um, but Ty Howell has been a, a constant in that recruitment. So, uh, I think there was kind of a little bit of separation there. Holden stays had Ty Howell, you know, had conversations with Ty Howell throughout the process as well. But it seemed like there was more of a foundation built there by Howell with Jerry Cross. So Jerry Cross told me, that's my guy. You know, we've been talking for a long time. Um, I think this is one that, you know, you kind of weather the storm and that's really all you can ask in this situation. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Cross has has opened the lines of communication with other programs, with other coaches. But at the same time, you keep them on board. You keep one of your most active vocal recruiters um, firmly in the mix. And really, that's all you can ask, especially at this point in time in this cycle where, you know, you, you see on the horizon – Visits are eventually going to happen. Whether that happens in April, as we saw this week, uh, you know they, they they've talked about, or I guess they've uh, recommended extending that to about Memorial Day. So I don't know how that's going to work. But at the same time, you you see sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. So you want to get your guys in line. You want to get your guys sort of uh, fully on board before that that whole thing can just blow wide open at the end of at the end of May. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see from that aspect where uh, that goes. But for now, it seems like you weathered the storm and Jerry Cross um, seems to be back, uh, you know, happy with his decision. 
Cross was commitment number two for the Penn State 2022 class, which ranks fourth nationally in 24-7 sports composite. He's the number eight tight end overall nationwide, uh, evaluated by 24-7 sports. And what's next at tight end? That was a trimmings topic for you. I hope our VIP subscribers are enjoying uh, you know, some of those trimmings that, that you come out with and, and uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes where things are heading. And, and tight end was a spot that you focused on recently earlier in the week. We'll leave a lot of that uh, behind the paywall, Sean. But what do you, what's kind of your overall takeaway on what happens next uh, with a bit of a reboot in that tight end room? Well, it's interesting here because, you know, last time around they had Nick Elksness committed very early. Um, you know, that's a sort of thing where you, you had your guy that you, you know, one of your top guys that you targeted very early jumped on board. And that's great. You, you had to keep yourself open, keep talking to guys like Brock Bowers, Maliki Mataveo, uh, guys that were all over the country. And of course, uh, you know, when, when COVID hit, things kind of changed with visits and that kind of left that position hanging. Um, but you eventually came back around and got Khalil Dinkins this time around when you got two commits in a class at a position like tight end where, you know, it's usually a max of two, uh, usually just going to, going to be one, one guy in that class. It changes some things. So you probably have fallen off with some other targets. You haven't kept up. You see other guys, Elijah Brown just committed to, to Alabama before we went under the air. It was kind of expected, uh, from him today. A kid out of Ohio is really good. Um, but you, you got, you kind of got a more reset uh, your board than anything. And now Ty Howell's got uh, his own evaluations. He's got his own opportunities to go out and build build those relationships. So there's a couple of guys that we're keeping an eye on. Um, CJ Hawkins, a guy down in, in Tampa that's been, uh, you know, talked about a few times on our board. Um, just But but it's going to be a situation where you're not going to come back around on holding stays. I think that ship has sailed. You got to make a decision whether you're going to add to Jerry Cross because you got to look at what's on board. Uh, excuse me. We got to look what's on the roster, see what you've got on board currently. And as you've mentioned several times, Brenton Strange still a redshirt freshman. Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren still true freshmen. Khalil Dinkins going to be a true freshman. Is Khalil Dinkins a tight end two years from now? You don't know. So there's several moving parts here. So first you got to figure out are you going to take another one? Regardless, you got to keep in contact with others. You might see some more offers going out here in the in the in the immediate future. Uh, it's just kind of a treading water act right now. Because so, I'm not convinced they're they're going to take two. They found themselves in a ridiculous spot where Holden stays is one of the top uh, top tight ends in the country. Jerry Cross, another one of those top tight ends in the country. You got to take them both. And you were even in on guys like Benji Gosnell and Bennett Christian, guys that are, I won't say fell back to Ohio State, but you thought, you felt, uh, during the first time around, during the first time around in your tight end recruitment, you felt Penn State was in a great spot for both. So you all of a sudden go from all these guys that that won on board to kind of got to reset the pace, and that might take a couple of months. But uh, we broke it down in our trimmings this week. Uh, it's it's you know fascinating from a recruiting nerd perspective. I don't know that the general public will find uh, the finding the second tight end as the most interesting topic, but there's there's, there's some options out there, some pretty good options out there. And as we've mentioned several times this 2022 cycle, you're going to see guys pop out of nowhere at times. Um we saw it this week with uh kid up in uh uh with a wide receiver up in Buffalo who I'm I'm his name is escaping me it was a Rutgers commit. Notre Dame just comes out of nowhere and offers him. Now Penn State offered him uh, last night. Uh this is just a lot of this going on because things are so fragmented across the country with evaluations, with no camps, with some play, some guys playing their seasons, some guys not playing their seasons. It's going to be a, a, 
a, a cycle of surprises. And I think that's very intriguing moving on, not just a tight end, but all over the board um, at every position. Anderson Copeland is that uh, Buffalo wide receiver that you just referenced and five months spent in the Rutgers recruiting class, Notre Dame, Penn State offering this week. Very quickly changing the dynamics of his recruitment. He's a kid that we hope to catch up with uh, at Lions 24-7, get some more intel uh, on him. And, and obviously at the wide receiver spot, that, that is one that has been very kind to Penn State thus far on the 2022 trail. By the way, Jerry Cross uh, uh, kind of uh, affirming his allegiance to the Penn State class a bit on on Twitter this week. A few related to Penn State, one about Pat Fryermuth, one about trusting James Franklin. So wasn't just the the, you know, the interview setting with you, it was also him kind of putting that out there publicly, which I'm sure the Penn State staff, starting with Franklin, appreciated as there were some questions swirling around that tight end room. And as you just referenced, four guys with, with freshman eligibility here in 2021. Uh, Zach Kuntz, a fourth-year sophomore, the outlier among that group. Um, Sean, sticking with the class of 2022 talk, I want to really quickly go back to what you just said because on Thursday the Division One Council um, I'm sorry the Division One Council will meet next on February 17th so that's this upcoming week on Thursday it was recommended uh, by the oversight committee that the council push back extend its dead period which dates back to last March extend that all the way through May Um, so the way things are currently constructed April 15th is that next day that we're all looking ahead toward. Uh, you're going to see this council meet, uh, you know, maybe in March, uh, mid-March to decide where that April 15th expiration date is. Uh, that would be p- cutting it pretty close. Um, but but as we know, currently configured on the calendar, what, the way recruiting is structured now on a, on a cyclical basis, that early early official visit window, you know, begins in early April, extends into late June, and then it shuts down, and you get another shot during the season. We saw the 2021 class have no opportunities to use official visits in either of those, and I can tell you right now, Sean, there is a very serious sense speaking with some of these 2022 prospects over the course of recent days. They're beginning to, to, to it's sinking in for them. You know, they saw it from afar for the high school seniors last year guys that they were familiar with, dealing with that. But I think a lot of them assumed it would be cleared up by the time their opportunity to take these visits would arrive. That moment is right around the corner, and all of a sudden there's a lot of doubt being cast on it. I don't know if there was a postponement, what that would mean for the July period, which you know usually is a dead period, a dead area for a lot of stuff. And the official visits you can't use. Um, we, we In the past, we've seen camps and events take place, but hasn't been a part of that official visit window. I don't know if that would be an adjustment they make uh, reactionary, but it tells me one, these guys, these kids are getting nervous. I'm sure their parents are getting nervous. And two, we could see one of those early spring commitment sprees across college football. Like we saw last year as guys are trying to cling the spots and, and, and starting to understand that the 2021 class, what they saw play out there, something similar could be occurring here, at least through the earlier stages of this cycle. Especially if you saw how the 2021 cycle closed with the uh, the rush to the transfer portal more so than the rush for adding 2021 prospects late. So that's going to be in the back of your mind. Not going to get a spring evaluation period. You're not going to see coaches on the road this year if this stuff goes through. Um, to me, I mean, you, you got to figure out how to make this work safely, but you got to figure out how to make it work. And that's that's the big thing that, that, that I took away from this is you just keep pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. I mean, what's, what's the end game here? I mean, what's uh, I know vaccines are going to be a big uh, push at the forefront of this movement, but at the same time, if you can get 
fans into stadiums. If you can get that to work, you can try and figure out how to get this done safely. So, um, not really seeing a lot of advocating for the, uh, the student, the recruits, the prospective student athletes here. And that's, uh, I think that's the hard part to stomach is, is there's got to be a way to make this work. And, um, you know, I, I get why they don't want to do it, but at the same time, you've, you've had enough time to try and, you know, work this out and have this happen. So I, I, I feel bad for these kids. It's kind of a, they're going to get caught in a no man's land. It's going to be a, a very interesting process. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of May. Do you open it up back up for camps? I mean, cause that's what's going to happen here is you're going to f- throw yourself sort of full bore in from nothing into having a couple hundred kids on campus for camps. I mean, that's not exactly the safest route either. So I don't know what's going to happen there. July is a dead period. I mean, that's got to be gone, right? I mean, like that's not even a, a debate in my mind is, is you've got to, if you're going to open it up for visits after essentially having a, 14 month long dead period. Um, you've got to, you know, get rid of that summer dead period. And that's going to throw into some, uh, questions about August and questions about the fall. So, um, it's a mess. Uh, I know there's no right scenario, but there, I think there are ways that you could work around it to make it workable for, for both sides here. We have both seen and heard about over-the-top, frivolous recruiting spending across college football on an annual basis, the kind of money that gets poured into basically the the window dressing in a lot of cases for these official visits. Can you allocate some of that to rapid testing? Can you allocate some of that to putting in place protocols that are going to help you? I don't think you can open the floodgates for one of those you know, twelve-player official visit weekends where you've got every you know uh, all these sets of parents or maybe siblings got to restrict it to a certain group. It, it's it's going to take a measured approach, but it, it's worth investing the time to do. Or I think the NCAA, if they go back-to-back cycles, not letting these kids really get their feet on the ground and get a good understanding of what they're going to at the university level and what they're actually committing to then they're going to have a mess on their hands for roster movement, for transfer portal. It it is going to be just such – I think there already is going to be major ramifications from what played out in 2021. If you stack this on top of it, we're talking about prospects here, Sean, that haven't been able to get to campuses since halfway through their sophomore year. Now they're talking about trying to make decisions before their senior season – and and if there is nothing in that gap in terms of shaking a coach's hands – or walking in team facilities, I don't know how the NCAA is going to reconcile that they're doing right by these athletes and their families. Well, there's just so much gray area in recruiting. And and that's the thing that a lot of people don't capture. I know I was talking to you about this beforehand, but like so much of this is, you know, you say unofficial visits and, and verbal scholarship. So much of that stuff is is sort of like figments of our imagination. I mean, there's no way to limit schools verbally offering a 2025 prospect right now. I mean, that, and that's not going to happen. Like you can't tell a school that they can't tell a kid that he can't you know, verbally have a scholarship offer. I mean, that's just not possible to regulate that stuff. Um, so there, there's so much left between the gaps here. And that's where it comes in with unofficial visits with camps and things like that. It's just, uh, you know, th- you want everything to be regulated, but it's, it's not possible in some areas. And I think that's the holdup. And that's why the NCAA or this advisory committee or whatever is being overly careful with it because, you know, you don't want to get caught with your pants down here. And that's, that, that's really a tough, tough thing to talk around. But at the same time, you got to figure out, you know, you mentioned official visits several times here. If you could figure out a way to get official visits into it, if you could figure out a way to make something like an official visit where it's on the books and you've got to account for, 
how many people are on your campus for a weekend. You got to account for how many people can visit your building and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's going to be hard to regulate, but you, you at least got to owe it to yourself to, to talk to, to at least talk it out. I think that's a, a more of a starting point. That we're not talking junior days where it's a you know an open door essentially, and and kids roll up and with with cars filled with people, and and they spend the day in your facilities. I don't know when we're going to get to see those kind of events again, uh, like a Lash Bash, for instance. Even even though that's a pretty exclusive company, and, and you know uh, on an annual basis, I think you got to start with with small structured visits that are more intimate. Um, and, and then go from there. And, and like you said, camps, I mean, how are camps going to play out there? It's so vital. You may have offered a kid at a camp who was uh, coming up on his sophomore or junior year, two years later, two summers later. If you can't get another look at them, we, we, we've talked all about these verified measurements and verified testing numbers. And, and, and that won't get any easier moving forward when you're working even further back uh, with the prospects that you are uh, considering, you know, investing a scholarship in. And then what happens? You run to the transfer portal for better known commodities. But Elliot uh, wrote a story this week for 24-7 Sports. I know you saw it, Sean. 400 fewer scholarships uh, were allocated to high, uh, incoming high school standouts uh, by FBS programs. And I don't blame them either. Difficult. You know, I, yeah, I, no, I, I, don't I don't understand I mean, it. It's the, it, it would be the way to go. I mean, you, you're asking, you know, somebody to, to take a, a chance on something that's, uh, at least a little bit more proven or, or verified than, than the, than the unknown. And I, I don't blame them one bit. And it's just a, a casualty of the situation here. Plus we don't get, you know, those, uh, all those photo shoots in the gear. And now we're left with, with bad photoshops where the kids' heads too big for the pads. I mean, it's just, it, everything's going to hell here. Yeah. Well, fortunately, we have been able to still maintain contact with these kids. It's, it's, these conversations are, are tricky and we'd hoped by, you know, February 2021, that we'd be talking more tangibly about visits with these kids. But, uh, you know, a few stories up online. I talked with a couple defensive linemen on the target board for 2022. Those stories are up online 24-7. Got a story about Omari and Hampton, a, a running back who Penn State is under is considering. We're going to get into that running back topic, I think, next episode on the 2022 class because it's a very important position. We spent a lot of time discussing quarterbacks on the last episode. And by the way, uh, Malik Murphy out, out of California earlier this week made it four offers at quarterback in the 2022 cycle in a 10-day span. Don't get too attached to Mr. Murphy, uh, but but the, you know just kind of further evidence that Mike Yersich and Penn State casting a wide net here um, with a quarterback already on board in Broperbula. But we'll shift that that narrative over to, to running back and put that in the spotlight next week because after no signees at that position in 2021, adding a, a one-and-done senior transfer in former Baylor running back John Lovett, that's a spot that's going to need to be addressed, and there's a lot of names to know. Um, Sean, were you ready to move forward to, to Eric? Wilson going from uh, you know the, the young kids to a guy who's got one one year left and will be maximizing it at Penn State. We talk about all the uncertainty with the 2022 kids, and then we move on to Eric Wilson, who's about to get his degree, and I think three and a half years from Harvard. Yeah, I think I'm I'm okay with moving on to that. It's it's been great to to talk to some of these grad transfers and stuff. You just get such a different perspective than you know talking to the kids. 
guys, and I'm not saying talking to the, the 2022 kids is, is, is a trying experience or anything like that, but you just, uh, if you listen to the Eric Wilson interview, I, I genuinely enjoyed talking to him just to, to get his perspective on these kind of things and, and, you know, where he came from and what, what he was going into with this decision because it's, it's, let's face it, it's very different decision when you're 17 years old than you are 21, 22 when you're going into the, the transfer portal. So I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I set out to to do a 10 or 15 minute interview and ended up 23 minutes and he was a great talker as um and, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing what he can bring to the table because it, it's uh you know it, it's one of those guys that that you root for after talking to him let's be honest we're gonna have Sean go down memory lane a little bit with some of these Super Bowl champions from Penn State we got five star mailbag to get to uh, but without further ado here's that conversation between Sean and incoming Penn State offensive lineman Eric Wilson Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz, bringing in our next guest, the newest Nittany Lion, grad transfer commit Eric Wilson out of Harvard. Eric, thanks for joining us the show. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it. So this one has kind of had a winding, a winding road for you. Obviously, um, not everybody ends up at Harvard, but th- that's obviously not your, your last stop. Um, h- how did you get there in the first place? You, uh, you know, coming out of Minnesota as a high school player, landed at Harvard. You actually had a, a bunch of options, uh, no slouch by any means, a three-star prospect, number 50 guard nationally, according to 24-7 Sports. So uh, how did that journey begin? How did you find your way to Harvard? Yeah, I knew out of high school, I uh, didn't really – understand the recruiting process from my school, uh, hadn't had much, uh, I don't want to say success, but hadn't been like a huge production factory, I guess, for, for players to go places in Minnesota typically isn't that state. Um, so then after my sophomore year, uh, really just set my sights on going to the Ivy league camps, maybe try to use football to get into uh, a higher academic school. Um, got offered at my first camp at Yale, uh, because I had taken, um, standardized tests and things like that. And then had a junior season that I, I thought was really good. And so did other people. And then offers started kind of picking up and had to open my eyes to maybe big 10 football or big 12 football a little more. Um, but then as I was going through the recruiting process, um, it's not something I really like uh, now, uh, then or now with the grad transfer process. Um, so I was visiting schools. Um, and then it was that time where Harvard officially offered me and I could commit, um, like the offer was committable. Uh, and I really committed March or April of my junior year of high school, um, just because I had family who had gone to Harvard and I just loved it when I was there and didn't want to drag it on. That's a that's kind of a different experience for for everybody that's following our podcast. Um, is you know Penn State is you offer the scholarship and you you know you're going up against all these different schools where you know as, as in the Ivy League process it's very different in terms of scholarships available or things like that. Um, and then you just sort of commit to the admissions process and there's just a whole much you know it's it goes it kind of goes without saying it's a little bit harder to get into Harvard than it is to most places. What's it like going through that process and weighing it against you know Minnesota or or, or some other school that you might have an opportunity that that doesn't bring with it the academic clout of playing in the Ivy League. 
Yeah, like I mean, I think it's pretty obvious the things you have to weigh uh, when you're making that decision. I mean, uh, Minnesota, I had an offer there. Um, Minnesota was the the hometown team. Um, my uncle had season tickets at Minnesota for probably like 20 years, um, and I grew up going to games there. And all my family is back there. Um, but with the Ivy League, with you know, things just didn't work out in recruiting there. That was during the huge uh, Tracy. Uh, Tracy Clay's Jerry kill and then ultimately PJ Fleck coaching coaching saga that's I'm sure most of the big ten was aware of um and so then uh, I was just looking elsewhere because they hadn't officially offered and really fell in love with Harvard and I I'm thankful that my parents had pushed me to take these standardized tests early so that I could gauge whether or not you know they would be an option I could hear from the coaches and uh thankfully, uh, wasn't going to be too worried about getting in with football, um, as kind of my proxy. Uh, so I wasn't at, so at that point it was just, do you want to go the, there was two decisions I made. Like, do you want to go big 10, big 12 or Ivy league? And then from there it was do which, which Ivy league or which big 10 school. And I chose the Ivy league route, um, and then fell in love with Harvard. So you get to Harvard, you play two games as a true freshman before that whole uh, four-game redshirt rule comes into play. Then you play 10 games as a sophomore in 2018. 2019's your big jump. You're all Ivy League second team. And um, I guess, you know, how if you could sum up your career in Harvard at Harvard before we get to 2020 and the, the cluster that obviously that became, but how was that career at Harvard going? I mean, what, what did you think about, you know, were you on, on the plane that you thought you were, you, you wanted to be on going into your career? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, when I, the way I looked at it was, you know, as I, w- I was on the trajectory, the other, and I'll, also I forgot to mention this, but Harvard at the time in my high school recruiting was, had more offensive linemen in the NFL than any of the power five or group of five schools recruiting me. Um, so like they currently have three or four, I think. And at the time they had five, um, and they had a really good class, um, class of guys out of there. And so when you look at their trajectory, um, you try to match that. And so earning, getting up to that first team, all Ivy senior year, um, trying to be, make some preseason all American lists, um, potentially be on like a, a senior bowl game type of watch list, um, is always the goal. Uh, but I think the thing that highlighted that was most different about my career at Harvard was I had three offensive line coaches in three years. Um, so I got to learn a lot of different things from, different people and all three of my coaches had different styles. So, you know, it could be a negative thing, but I look at it as a positive where I get to pick and choose uh, the tidbits of information from each of those coaches that I like the most and I thought were the most helpful. Awesome. Awesome. Six um, going into the season, six Harvard players on NFL rosters. Of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Cameron Bray just won a Super Bowl with the, the the Buccaneers. So obviously, you know, that's that that's no slouch in terms of an FCS program putting uh, putting prof- game or players into the professional game. Now, y- you got into 2020 and I can't imagine just can, can, can you kind of lay out there what it's like being an FCS athlete going through um, what everybody else was watching with COVID, obviously the Ivy League at the front campaign. Uh, canceling things in the spring. I mean, what was that like watching that for you and just seeing how your career could, could, could have obviously just imploded there? Yeah, it was pretty devastating to be honest, because like kind of what you dream about when you come into Harvard um, with your recruiting class, we were, I think the number one FCS recruiting class uh, was my year at Harvard. Um, and a lot of guys had options at bigger schools and we were really excited to like get to that point where we're all on the field together. 
Uh, me specifically, like, I was really excited to get to the point where I'm playing with all my roommates, uh, just you know, having a blast, make it like high school football again. Um, and so when this started happening, it got we 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 knew we could tell pretty early that we weren't going to have a season in the fall. Um, some people could look at it like glass half full, but it was pretty clear Harvard was going to take the safe route. And I think my my roommate, I live with the left tackle, um, and he's lost uh, seventy or eighty pounds now. Uh, so he, he he's got a six pack and he's living life. So we we chose opposite paths for um, this year, but that's just uh, it, it made it weird. It's like, do you stand still? The only way to keep playing at Harvard uh, would be to take a semester off at the time. And they actually just released a, uh, an announcement today in the Ivy League that if you get into if seniors who have extra eligibility that get into graduate schools in the Ivy League can use it there. Um, but it's just too late uh, to come back. It's February. So I don't know how they're expecting people to I mean, stay in the Ivy League. Um, so people either decided to, you know, take a semester off and come back and finish at Harvard or be done completely or move on as a grad transfer elsewhere. When did you make your decision? When did you say, hey, I got to I got to get out of here. I'm sorry. You know, I, I can't I, I hate to leave my brothers behind and things like that, but I got to get out of here, do what's best for me. When did you make that decision? And why did why was that your choice? Yeah, so I entered the portal, um, I think a few days after the Ivy League officially canceled the fall season. Um, and I think then that, that wasn't officially when I decided I wasn't going to come back to Harvard, but I just wanted to see see the options. And a lot of people reached out um, at that time, even though it was kind of crazy with nobody knowing what was going on with their season. Um, so I knew I had some options. And, you know, honestly, I had uncertainty about if Harvard was going to play next fall as well. Um, and also the factor of just not wanting to postpone graduation, postpone kind of my life advancing for the next six months, um, was something I was thinking about, uh, at the same time. I, I just thought it was a decision I never should have had to make. I think there should be allowance for letting graduate students play football or, uh, play sports in the Ivy league, but it's not my problem and they're not going to change that anytime soon. You entered the transfer port, I believe, July. Was there any hope of potentially playing the season if it, you know, if it got to that where you would, you know, just be a plug and play guy, maybe in the SEC or something like that? I know we'll get to the Auburn situation here in a little bit, but was there any thought of uh, ending things early? I know you still got that Harvard degree, which is obviously the the, the goal um, to to work forward to. But was there any thought of maybe trying to get out there and play right away? Uh, no, my family would have killed me. I would not have. Uh, that would not have gone over well. Smart, uh, very smart people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was that was never an option. So what? So what was the contact like with uh, with schools coming in? You know, at that point, knowing that they wouldn't be able to play, and 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 you know, of course, in hindsight, you know, we can say, okay, there was a season that started in September and and ran, you know, at, during the regular season, but we didn't know if there was going to be a season in certain spots. In hindsight, it's easy to say that, but what was the interest like? What were the coaches saying to you when you came into the portal? And because obviously there was quite a bit of interest there. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy the range of options. Like I was, yeah, if it was from D three to uh, on day one, uh, Minnesota called and offered. Um, so I thought that was very intriguing. Uh, but then the whole mess of everybody getting eligibility came out, um, and it became clear. And I think now it's appropriate to say, but it became clear that at Minnesota they'd have eight guys returning that had started twelve games or so on the offensive line, and so it just didn't see things working out there. Um, and that news kind of rattled everything and postponed it for some schools. 
whereas for others, it was pretty easy to easy to tell uh, the coaches knew that they were going to have spots available. Um, But really I got connected with Auburn in a roundabout way uh, through my, the the guy I trained with back home had a friend who's a strength coach down there and he just sent him my film because, you know, sometimes I do think that the FCS football is unfairly looked down on um, because we have a lot of successful guys make the NFL and specifically on the line. Like that's like kind of what, uh, the Ivy League produces is O line, D line, or tight ends, that type of stuff. Um, so, like, we're going up against 300 pound kids that are really strong that have been lifting all their lives uh, just the same, but then maybe not garnering the tension when we enter the portal uh, that other players would. Um, so, that really helps. And that same day, I got a call from Auburn and uh, they offered me, and that's when that connection started building. I thought that was where I was going to be going. Um, so, just a whole lot of situations like that kind of popped up. You mentioned you weren't a big fan of the recruiting process the first or the second time. I mean, how how much did that build up on you? How much did that add up um, throughout the next couple of weeks, months, whatever it be? Because you you weren't in a hurry to make a decision, but obviously there's some sort of uh, sense of uh, let's let's get this thing going so I know what I'm going to do next year um, play, mm-hmm. at play here. So how did that that whole recruiting process go for starting with Auburn and LSU was in it, and then eventually Penn State came in it. Uh, what what was that like for you? Uh, it, it definitely consumed a lot of it consumed my life uh, and it consumed my parents' lives. And I was ta- I was still fully enrolled, taking classes at Harvard. Um, and I was living with my roommates. We actually had an Airbnb uh, in Nashville for the semester. We weren't allowed on campus. Uh, so we were living in Nashville, taking classes. Uh, and so they got to and I think they were the ones impacted the most because it was just we'd be doing something and I just get a call and have to go take it. Um, and I, I felt felt like it was just consuming my life. And then bumping into there is a little too much more than I like. So I kind of wanted to slow it down and, you know, just make it clear that I was going to take my own time to decide. Uh, but what I, what I wasn't ready for, I guess, was the amount of zoom calls or talking with parents that was going to happen uh, because then it became, it became a whole family affair, uh, which was pretty funny. Um, and the Auburn coaches were really good at building that connection with my family. And just as coach Franklin and coach Stratwain have been, um, in these past few weeks, but, uh, then I drove down to Auburn for a game, uh, and thought it was a spot still committed. Uh, and then things changed two weeks later, uh, or a week later, as everyone knows, and they paid $22 million to fire the head coach. So that was, that was not expected. I was trying to make a very stable decision. Uh, and then I did not. <laughs> well, you wanted, you wanted your introduction to big time football. You got it right away with, uh, with that whole buyout. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then I, I was taking it slow and, um, it really came down to at that point. Uh, then I think Penn State and LSU uh, were the schools I was looking at because Auburn hadn't hired new coaches. Uh, and LSU, the starting center is actually my teammate from college. Um, so he grad transferred last year from Harvard, and he had a great experience down there. And he's going to be starting again next year. Um, but you know, Penn State really just seemed like a great fit. I coach Trout. The first time Coach Troutwin reached out to me was the day I committed to Auburn. So I hadn't built the relationship. I didn't know him, didn't know what the interest was. Um, but, you know, th- I think things worked out. I, I really, really enjoyed getting to know him and the rest of the coaching stuff. 
Did you notice a difference in terms of the recruitment, the the questions that you ask and the, and the answers that they give? How different would it be for, you know, 17-year-old version of you versus, I don't know, what, 21 or whatever you are now? Um, what What is the difference in terms of a grad, a grad transfer recruitment versus a high school recruitment? Uh, it's incredibly different. And I it was uh, it was kind of funny. You know, people weren't uh, giving me BS. They were just being very straightforward. Um you know, something I never did in high school was talk about the depth chart with coaches. I wasn't interested. I thought I was, gonna, but you know, this, and, and I, I also didn't talk about coaching stability, but with this decision, what I learned very quickly is like, I'm committing to a coaching staff and a situation. I'm not committing to a program. Um, and so the questions you ask are definitely more centered on what's it looking like. And uh, no one's going to uh, promise you they can play, that you can play or that you can start there. Um, and I think if they do promise you that you can start, it's kind of, it's BS because I'm not, I understand Penn state gets four and five star recruits all the time. So I'm not going in anywhere, uh, thinking, Oh, I can just walk in here and be lazy and just get the job. But you have to gauge where's your best option with two interior guys leaving and the third one transferring out. Um, that wasn't the reason I committed, but, uh, it definitely helped persuade me into, seeing it as a favorable situation, favorable situation. It's kind of the opposite of what they tell you all along is, you know, commit to the program, commit to the school, whatever the academics, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to sort of flip that on its head and be selfish then uh, for yourself. Right. Oh, literally it's, I, I, I said to my parents, I'm like, am I being selfish uh, thinking about this? Because, you know, I had a teammate at LSU uh, who had a great time and, you know, it could have been really fun to, go down there and play together, but you just don't know what the situation could be like uh, with everybody coming back. And, you know, you're, you're looking for that stability, like I said, and it seemed like coach Troutway in, in one year had turned zero preseason, all big 10 guys into three, all big 10 guys after the season. Uh, that's definitely something I was looking at too, because I like, I want this to be, this is a football decision. A lot of t- people tried to emphasize academics to me, because they think, oh, he's a kid from Harvard. He just wants to uh, get a good grad degree. I do not care. Uh, like I, I really appreciate uh, the academics at every school. Uh, but I, this is football. I want to play in the NFL. Like that's my goal. You've done the academic thing, so I mean, you're you're just focused yeah. all on football. What's what's Troutwine's uh, pitch to you? I mean, what's does he come along? You know, you mentioned he reached out when you committed or the day you committed to Auburn. How does that uh, pitch change throughout the time? And and what is you know what is he saying to you? Because if it's a football decision, I mean, he's got to talk X's and O's, depth charts, and all that kind of things, uh, all that kind of stuff with you. Yeah, I, I guess also the last thing I want to hear alongside that oh promise you're going to start is that. Uh, you know, you're great at everything. You know, he gave me things that he could give me the tools to improve and work on and get better with um, if I came to Penn State. And, you know, he's got that personal experience playing on the, those Florida teams. Um, and actually in Boston, you know, I'm at Harvard. He was a coach at Boston College. And we saw all those Boston College linemen getting drafted and more going to get drafted in these next two years that were all products of his coaching and his recruiting. Um, and so I thought that was just a huge sign to me that, uh, he knows what he's doing, and he's got two guys this year who are going to uh, try to make it work. And so I thought that was uh, – again, it just it, – it keeps. I keep saying it out loud. I'm like, wow, that's really – well, that was a good decision. That's what I keep thinking as I'm talking about it. I'm like, I really, I really uh, respect him as a coach already. I haven't uh, even known him yet. 
how does Penn State's situation, the offensive line mesh with what you can bring to the table? Obviously, you play guard, but I mean, is there any center in your future? What do you think you can provide this room uh, at the next level? Uh, I think I'm pretty versatile uh, at Harvard. I mean, in high school, I played tackle, uh, center and guard, started uh, over eight games at probably all three positions. I know that's high school, but then moving to Harvard, I w- I've been the emergency center um, for the last two years uh, and have played both guard spots. If the right guard got hurt, I moved to the right guard, bring the left guard in. I uh, even, my, my, t- my teammates and I laugh at this. I got a spell. I was, a, I t- took some reps at tackle my freshman year uh, just to, just in case uh, they always make fun of me. And my roommate does the just in case he's a tackle uh, type thing. Uh, but I think I bring the versatility and I pull a lot. Uh, and that's something I've always done really well. And so if you want to move the pocket, I can help you move the pocket, but I'm also, um, I'm also powerful in the run game. Like that's, uh, what I pride myself on is run blocking. Uh, but I definitely think, uh, with pass blocking, like coach Troutwain can give me the tools to, you know, stop the bull rush from a 330 pounder, you know, like every single time you don't, you're not going against guys that are 330 pounds and fast all the time in the Ivy league. And I think that's the one knock, like we're going up against really good players, uh, but not just those monsters that you see uh, week to week in the Big Ten. You're listed at 280 pounds on Harvard's <laughs> official website. Can you tell me what the, what's different now? Uh, I'm I'm 315, 320, and I played last year at 305. So uh, 305, 300. So that's from I, that was coming out of high school. So uh, I, I've I've seen some comments. I don't get in, I don't get engaged online, but it's like, oh, is he two, 280? Is he big enough? I'm like, yes, it's fine. I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah, we're sitting on the here in the Zoom, and no offense to you, you you're not 280. I can I, th- I think I can tell from the shoulders <laughs> yeah. up, you're okay. Uh, so, so what do you bring to the table as as an interior offensive lineman? I mean, what's what are your strengths, and and how do you think that that aligns with what Penn State likes to do? And and has anything changed with the change at offensive coordinator? I mean, do you take into account what uh, what that offense looks like versus Kirk Shiraka's? I don't know how much you talk to Kirk Shiraka, but how, I mean, how much does that uh, impact what you think you can do at the next level? Yeah, I committed after Coach Yersich was hired, um, so I didn't get to didn't talk to Shiraka, um at all. But I think being able to adapt to different situations is something that you know you're going to have to do if you want to play at the next level. So I'm not, um, and I, I think so many offenses are pro style now that uh, a change a change in some sort of scheme like running power a little more than you'd run zone um, isn't going to impact my decision in coming to a school. But I I think I I bring a big athletic body on the inside um, that can move people. Yeah, I'm th- 315 and I've been in the weight room a lot um, all my life. Um, I bench like 450, squat 600. So like it, like that's like, that's kind of, that's been my thing all my life. And I'm excited to get to a place like uh, in another environment where like that can be, uh, that can be a big team thing again, because right now at Harvard, like you can't lift as a team. Uh, most guys you can get in there as eight people. So like I, I really can't wait to get there in the summer and uh, start bonding with people. You um, mentioned you'll get here in the summer. You've got that tiny detail of finishing up that Harvard degree. I know that's you know just a small thing for you. And then how soon can we expect to see you uh, at in-state college? I, I should be driving there in uh, second or third week of May. I, I, I drove out for the sole purpose. I drove from Minnesota to Boston for, with the sole purpose of being able to drive to my next location. And I drove through Penn State with my mom when we came out and we, we walked around and saw things, uh, didn't see the coaches, but we're able to 
you know, check out the stadium from outside. Uh, and it looked great and kind of sold me on it. And I'm ready to drive there in May. Penn State opens the schedule in September at Wisconsin. Obviously, uh, you're a Minnesota guy. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think when you hear that uh, you know, the first game is going to be at Camp Randall? Oh, I can't wait. Uh, at Camp Randall, at Iowa. I'm, re- I'm really excited for those ones. Uh, now, I-, I was bummed. I was bummed there was no Minnesota on the schedule. Uh, I thought that would have been would have been an awesome experience. But uh, nonetheless, like playing Big Ten football uh, is going to I've grown up watching Big Ten football. Uh, I'm really excited for Eric Wilson will be a, an interior offensive lineman for Penn State next year. He will arrive after the spring semester, after he takes care of that that little minor detail, the Harvard degree. But Eric, we thank you for joining us in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hopefully we'll be in touch uh, throughout the, the spring just to get uh, progress updates and everything. But thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Great stuff there from Eric Wilson, who is the fifth scholarship edition via transfer He's the only one of those five at this stage who is not yet on campus laying out his plans there uh, with Sean. Sean, I enjoyed that one. I know you did too, but uh, let's turn our attention to the Super Bowl champs, uh, the Tampa. That's a, that's a real me move, by the way, saying you enjoyed it and you obviously haven't listened to it. Uh, that's uh, that's usually what I say about your interviews. <laughs> Have you listened to any of my interviews? Yeah, sure. Definitely. They're all great. Um, I'm sure I will enjoy it when I get around to listening to it. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you came in, you came in excited about that interview and you, and you were legitimately like, you know, kind of pumping that one up. So I haven't heard that tone from you about an interview in a while. No offense to some of the other guys you've spoken with recently. So I, I, I just know it's going to be a good one with Eric Wilson. Well, that's good. That's good. And hey, congratulations to you, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan getting a Super Bowl ring. Um, you know, sorry you had to have Tom Brady to do very it. Very strange. But, uh, very strange. Uh, but uh, I, I assume you didn't spend your week uh, day drinking on a boat like him, did you? Oh, if only. No, uh, nope. But uh, had had my parents up and, and it was nice. That My dad and I we're at the first game at Raymond James Stadium ever. He was, he and him and a buddy were uh, partners on season tickets back in, in 98. And then we moved to New Jersey, I think, two games into the season. So we never really utilized them much. But to some degree, I've maintained my Buccaneers fandom. I will say it felt a lot different watching it as a high school freshman in 2002 when it was a bunch of homegrown guys winning that Super Bowl with John Gruden came through versus, you know, kind of feeling like a a mercenary situation here with Tom Brady coming in and just going all Terminator. And uh, it, it was bizarre to say the least but you know one of those homegrown grown guys a couple of them actually sean out of penn state which is you know where we're turning our attention here chris godwin donovan smith this is the only nfl uniform those two have worn uh godwin in year four donovan smith in year six um guys who you know came in second round pick for smith third round pick for godwin and here they are you know obviously it took took a uh, uh, tom brady coming in to help them get to the finish line and transforming the team but they played key roles. Uh, Godwin had 110 receiving yards in the NFC Championship game. He had he had the first catch of the Super Bowl. Ended up with a modest stat line. I think two catches for nine yards. 
Donovan Smith, though, and you got this firsthand as a Washington fan, his work against Chase Young in round one, he turned it up during the course of this playoff uh, run. It, it felt like he turned it up during the course of the season in year two of a very big contract. We'll get to AQ Shipley in a moment. He was injured, part of the team still enjoying that celebration, but can we stick with Godwin and Smith, uh, more recent guys at Penn State and guys that you probably recall coming through out of high school? Well, first off, I, I don't need you patronizing me with the mercenary talk because I would love a mercenary situation in Washington where they go in and win a Super Bowl. I don't care how it gets done um, but because all the mercenary situations in Washington turn out horribly anyway. Um, so I, I first off, we'll, we'll just get past that. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's cool to see these guys. And and I feel like – and I, I just looking at Chris Godwin and Donovan Smith and, and Shipley is pretty much my age. We went to Penn State at the same time. Um, so it's kind of different with that one. But so happy to see him get a ring albeit not in the situation that that you know he had hoped it would be with the injury and everything but still so cool to see him get a ring um but going back i mean donovan smith was a guy when we started 24 7 sports that's the first guy i went and saw at his school to to do an interview um was always very gracious with his time i thought he was tremendously talented um one of those guys that was just uh you know you could see it from the start he had nfl potential all over him um and then he got to penn state um i i don't think his penn state career went the way that many forecasted it too and when he left i mean let's be honest we we weren't sure what the future would hold for him because um he played excuse me at least late in his career you you could say some things about Donovan smith that weren't too endearing about work ethic and things like that and he turned it up you mentioned that first round against washington he played out of his mind during the playoffs and this is a guy that they rewarded with a big contract a couple of years ago and they were talking about eventually cutting him being a cap casualty um, because it wasn't up to to, to par of what they thought it could be for an offensive lineman, but he turned it up and he had a great run of playoffs. I think it's really cool to see. Um, you know, you talk about uh, Donovan Smith, and you got to include Allen Robinson and and Dion Barnes, who's with the team now, and Kyle Cart. You know, the Super Six guys, Adrian Amos and Bill Belton as well. Um, so they're always going to be linked together. So I thought that was cool to watch those guys sort of grow up and and be on their own paths, and Donovan eventually ending up in the Super Bowl and being a Super Bowl champ. So, um, but yeah, always going back to his recruitment. And just, uh, you know, a guy that I always thought would end up at Penn State and eventually did. I mean, he had a bunch of good offers. In fact, I went back and looked at his profile this week, a four-star by 24-7, four-star by the composite. So um, cer- certainly hit on that one. But his recruiter at Maryland was James Franklin. Um, I know when they got to Penn State, it wasn't uh, the 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 cheeriest of relationships between those two and um but it, it's one of those things that has worked itself out he, he's a proud penn state alum now he's a guy that uh is is very much um come back around to penn state and i think that's really cool godwin um hate to say that we were in on that from the start or i was in on that from the start but from the first time i saw him i think it was at a penn state camp i thought this kid was the real deal and this uh i saw him at seven on seven i saw him at nike camps i saw him everywhere and everywhere he went was just like this kid is so freaking good and then he got to penn state and took it up another level i mean this is a guy that you know penn state hasn't had a ton of those guys especially at the skill position at the receiver position that you could go out and just bail you out i mean alan robinson was that way with with christian hackenberg chris godwin was that way um but yeah it's just a phenomenal talent just uh 
Uh, both of those guys we thought of, um, and they've lived up to the expectations. I just think it's been really cool to watch those guys grow up and go from, you know, high school sophomores, high school juniors to, uh, Super Bowl champions. It's just a really cool, uh, walk down memory lane. And then you throw AQ Shipley into that. Like I, I was just telling you off air, my last memory of AQ, um, as a Penn State student. And by the way, just following him, um, as a young reporter, uh, he and Rich Ornberger, who is, uh, doing his own thing on, on the radio on the West Coast right now, were just hysterical to follow. Uh, I remember one time Ornberger, I believe, got on a conference call as AQ Shipley and did a few minutes in his AQ voice and nobody could pick up on it. And it was just one of those things that was just like, how are you guys getting away with this? It was really cool. Uh, but yeah, my last memory of Shipley, we were playing pickup basketball up the IM building. Uh, Jordan Norwood was playing. Sean Lee was playing. And I massively screwed up my ankle. And they just kind of took that uh, took that opportunity to treat it like football and just kind of move the game along and get me off to the side and replace me with somebody else. Because that, that was their thing. When somebody got hurt in football practice, move it ahead 10 yards. Let the trainers come in, talk to the guy that's hurt, and just move it ahead 10 yards. Go run the next play. It's kind of what they did to me on the pickup basketball court. Uh, ankle's never really been the same since then. I've since uh, done it again. Um, but uh, that's always the one thing that I think of with, with AQ because he was a great basketball player. Of course, Lee was a great basketball player. Norwood, a great basketball player. Some really good basketball players on that uh, on those teams in the mid-2000s. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, – it's cool to watch those guys reach the height of their their profession by being Super Bowl champs. It's just uh, – I'm sure there's no feeling like it and just really happy for those guys. I'm glad they were gracious enough to drag your ass off the court. I kind of pictured them going hoop to hoop and kind of just hurtling you en route. So, that's nice that you were able to get to the sideline before they continued play. Um, when, when we look at this group, AK, AQ Shipley brought in by Bruce Arians. They were together with the Arizona Cardinals. I think that says something a lot about uh, the, the presence that he was hoping would be supplied within that locker room. It was a locker room that didn't have much experience with success until this year. And additionally, Donovan Smith, I just kind of uh, double-checked this to make sure. After week one, a, a loss to the New Orleans Saints, Sean, Bruce Arians publicly said his performance was very disappointing. So if that's week one of this season. Now in the Super Bowl, Donovan Smith has kind of changed that the whole storyline around his projection as a, as a, as an NFL player, and he's still in his you know mid to late twenties at this stage. Working you know one year left on this contract, it was a three year forty two million dollar deal, I believe. So uh, he, he may be working himself into another one, and, and we know in the NFL. You don't have to be the best of the best at left tackle. If you're a, 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 a good one, you get paid a ton of money. So I think Donovan Smith probably has another big payday coming his way. Congratulations to those guys. Um, I, I want to stick here with Chris Godwin because that's where our mailbag leads us. And the question here is, with Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson each hitting free agency, where would you like to see those guys land for next season? Before I before we pass this over to you, these guys rank second and third. Godwin just ahead of Robinson in Pro Football Focus's recent top 100 free agents list. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott is number one on that list. Godwin Robinson, you know my answer for Godwin. I'll, I'll give it to you, but I I, I I obviously am hoping he sticks with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady has a way of of making sure that his top offensive guys stick around if he likes them. I, I get the feeling that he really likes Chris Godwin. 
was an all-pro as a third-year player in 2019, missed four games because of some injuries this year, but ended up scoring in the final three regular season games, went on to set up a franchise postseason receiving yards record here during the last few weeks, and um, I just think they'll find a way. I don't know if that's a franchise tag. I don't know if they, if they get some wiggle room and, and they're able to, to, to keep him on board with a long-term deal. PFF projected maybe a five-year deal uh, going over $100 million for Chris Godwin. So regardless of where he ends up or how he ends up there, he's going to get a serious pay bump from the third round pick rookie salary he has been on for these first four years. Yeah, I'm sure he'll welcome that. And I've <laughs> no doubts that, that, that he's going to get a significant raise here. It'd be interesting to see if Tampa can pay him. They, I, I think you always think of Mike Evans as the number one there. So I'm not sure how that works out. Um, Miami's a spot. Jacksonville's a spot. Both, both. Uh, teams have uh, significant cap room and, you know, sort of uh, an opportunity to sort of reshape what they're trying to do. And I think that's appealing. Obviously, he's been in Tampa, um, but uh, it, I'll say Jacksonville for some reason. I don't, I don't really know why, um, but um, that, that that seems to make sense there for Godwin. Uh, for Allen Robinson, I don't know, man, because uh, is he going to re-sign with the Bears? I think Bill Barnwell, I read that, uh, that he said he expected him to re-sign with the Bears, but given what he's been through over the last couple couple of years there. I mean, that's, uh, it's going to take some, some serious money to make him think that way, I guess. Uh, Indianapolis might be an opportunity for him. Uh, we'll see maybe Detroit, uh, go home to Detroit. Baltimore is like always the, 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 the team that gets brought up here, right? They, they, we always talk about them investing in wide receiver and doing what they need to do to bring in a number one. They never seem to do it, but Baltimore kind of makes sense for both of these guys as well. So, uh, would love for, one of them to, to land in Washington. Don't really see that happening. But uh, yeah, I think that those are a couple spots that, uh, you know, you could probably make it work. And I don't know that it's going to be about quarterback play, especially for for a guy like Godwin. I mean, um, where are you going to go that's going to give you the most money? Uh, it, you, you hate to lay it out like that, but he's in a situation where he's in a high demand at the top of his class among wide receivers. So might as well try and get as much out of it as you can. Contract number two, it's always get that big payday, secure the bag, and move forward. It feels like contract number three, after you've had that big payday, is often more about the right the, the finding the right fit where you can win. And the Chicago Bears, you know, they, they've been in the playoffs a couple of years with Allen Robinson there. I, th- I think a couple of years ago, he, he actually set a Bears record for receiving yards in a postseason game against the Eagles. But, you know, you just got to wonder over the course of his career, and you, you listed the quarterbacks that he has been thrown to since he left high school, um, leaves a lot to be desired. And, and for a guy that still managed to produce, um, he's only the fifth Bears player ever to produce consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, now you kind of think, okay, what might he look like with an all-pro, Pro Bowl caliber quarterback for the next three, four years of his career, maybe beyond that? Um, you know, I've seen PFF projecting he's going to get a huge payday of maybe north of $80 million total. Remember when he got his $40 million contract from the Bears, he was coming off of a knee injury that, that really wiped out his entire previous season. So a lot more momentum for him going into free agency this time. Um, I, I, the Dolphins are intriguing. I, I think that'd be interesting for folks to see Gasicki and, and Allen Robinson together on the field. And uh, but again, I, what is, whether they have a quarterback, if if you know, Tua Tagovailoa, the guy. Look, I, I think I think both these players are going to get a lot of money at the end of the day, and that's what matters. That was that's what really matters most. And for the Penn State brand, Sean, if you've got two wide receivers, and, and let's say Pro Football Focus is in the right ballpark here, and and, and Godwin avoids the franchise tag, and we're talking two long-term deals. If you get two wide receivers making $200 million combined dollars in free agency money, 
That's that, a good graphic. That's a yeah. nice graphic, right? <laughs> that, that's that 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 will work for. I mean, that will work for your for your uh, graphics department. That will work for a tweet. Um, so I, I don't know where these guys end up. It's a great question. I'm going to say Godwin stays with Tampa Bay. I certainly think that Allen Robinson moves on. And and I think, you know, how about the Philadelphia Eagles getting involved there maybe a little bit? Uh, Jalen Hurts is not a proven commodity. I don't know what they're going to do with Carson Wentz. So th- there's a quarterback question there. Uh, but, you know, th- that's also a team that would seem to make a lot of sense. And New England Patriots, tell you what, if there's one team that, that needs some outside perimeter help, they, they were really, really lackluster at that spot. Uh, last year um so maybe the patriots are a spot as well but um we could name 31 nfl franchises that could use an Allen robinson on their roster i think yeah that's true i mean it's kind of a, a, against what the patriots have always done you know going out and getting the the high price guy but uh no i mean if you need a playmaker you need a playmaker and obviously they're gonna have to to adjust the way that they do things without tom brady and essentially without a quarterback but yeah you went you said philly i mean i kind of lump philly in with baltimore and that we always expect them to go out and get the big guy or you know think it's open to doing so or think they're open to doing so um we'll see if that if that's in the uh in the mix here but yeah like jacksonville indianapolis miami i mean you've got opportunities you know all over the place especially if you got two of the top three or or the two top receivers in in this free agent class you want to talk about rewriting your look if you're the jacksonville jaguars uh bring in urban meyer draft trevor lawrence with the number one pick take pratt fryermuth in round two and go sign the top wide receiver in the free agency pile that's a different looking situation than what you just had and yes, yeah. I threw in the Fryermuth Bowen connection again because I, I just enjoy thinking about it. Why not? Why yeah. not? I mean, it may make sense. Um, second one here, go back into the transfer portal. Uh, one more splash. Are the recent portal entries for Penn State a point of concern? Or is it more of a situation where the Penn State staff had those prospects rated too highly coming out of high school versus their actual performance once they got to campus? A, a little bit difficult kind of construing this one the way it's written and I probably could have revised it a bit but is this a situation where Penn State is sad to see these guys go because they were going to be productive players or is this a case where the Penn State staff says we thought when he was 18 years old he would be further along when he was 20 21 years old yeah I think that that makes a little bit more sense Um, but I mean it's a case-by-case basis I mean you look at the guys that have gone in recently um, CJ Thorpe's got starting experience and outside of what one or two games. Will Levis is the only other guy that that, that started for Penn State. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a, a mix of both. You expected more from Lance Dixon, but you also expected this kind of trajectory for Lance Dixon. I mean, this is a guy that you expected a couple of years down the road when you were projecting what he could be. I'm not going to say he's on schedule or he was on schedule at Penn State, but you still saw a guy that could eventually turn into a big time linebacker. And I still think that they, you know, have had high hopes for Lance Dixon at this point in his career just didn't work. So I think that's the one that stings the most. I don't think there's any question, um, you know, looking at this list of, of names that I wrote down, I think there was a couple more than this, but Will Levis and Micah Bowens, Lance Dixon, TJ Jones, CJ Thorpe, didn't really see TJ Jones really breaking through here. You know, he did some nice things early in his career, but really was, I think, kind of passed up by some guys, some younger guys. And it's funny saying that as a redshirt freshman, but passed up by some younger guys at the receiver position. Bowens, you know, if you've listened or if you followed never been the biggest fan of Bowens after seeing him at camp a couple of years ago um so I don't think that there's any 
anybody that's you know worried about that one uh, too much. Levis, obviously, we would have liked to see him stick around for the spring. Um, C.J. Thorpe's an interesting one to me because you you talk about uh, you know what he can bring to the table, and I think we all had really high hopes for C.J. Thorpe. I was just talking to Brian Doan about this the other day. We we both thought that he would have a better career as an offensive lineman, but obviously he didn't really see that one fitting in. And and really it was it was kind of an anomaly because you look at what he did well, which is uh, you know being a run block guy that had to learn how to pass block. And you saw the marriage with Kirk Shiraka and running the ball a little bit more and all that kind of stuff. And you thought, okay, this is this is going to be what snaps him into gear. This is what's going to make him the lineman that we thought he could be just never happened. And, you know, that's, that's certainly something that happens in college football sometimes. And, you know, he wants to go play defense now and do his thing. And that's, you know, certainly, um, his prerogative, but yeah, I don't think anybody's, um, looking at this entire group, maybe Lance Dixon aside, who probably would have been either a guy that pushed to start or a guy that's on the two deep and thinking, okay, well, this isn't really what we, what we had mapped out here. So, um, I don't think that the, 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 the way that the question is written, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, that's, I, I don't think that that's, you know, obviously they bring in these guys to play. They bring in these guys to play at a high level. It just doesn't work out. And that's the sort of the dirty little secret here is so many of these guys come in and, and don't live up to expectations. And, and sometimes it's coaching. Sometimes it's on the player. Sometimes, it, you know, there's just a lot of things that go into this. And I think that, that when you see the, um, results from the portal, um, you see guys re- leaving for a reason. And usually it's not frontline starters that are doing so. Thorpe, yeah, pretty far along in his career at this point, 22 years old, if, if not 22, about going to be 22 fairly soon now. Um, moving over to defense, focusing him there. A guy that you know I pegged as, as you know, a possible breakout a couple of years ago at, at the guard position. And it just did not really come together for him in, in the way we thought it might. He's a former top 100 overall composite prospect in that vicinity. So you know when it doesn't work out with a guy that has that kind of a rating coming in uh, because of the expectations that are often applied to that tag, it stings a little bit more than you, know, you apply the five-star situation that 24-7 sports put on Lance Dixon and, and what you got out of him and, and what 11 career game appearances certainly fell far short of expectations. But you know, Micah Bowens, when, when this is kind of talking about rated too high, come out of high school in the question, Bowens, Levis, they're both three-star prospects. Uh, that's how they were evaluated coming uh, coming to the Power 5 level. Um, you know, Judge Culpepper going back further where was his role going to be with this program? It's just not a lot of starters. I think Will Levis is one that, that you know, in the spring, you'd wish you'd had him on campus, but he didn't see the situation as the right one for him. Moves on to Kentucky. And, uh, and I, by the way, I don't know if we even, I don't think we addressed that at all. He went to Kentucky. If you, if you missed that whole scenario playing out, that's where he will be for the 2021 season. That, that one popped up quickly after our podcast last Friday. So, uh, I think you, you you handled that one well, and sorry, I wish I had re- messed with the clean up the question just a bit, but we do appreciate the question. Yeah, definitely, we appreciate all the questions, but yeah, I think uh, as anything here, and and this is recruiting, this is uh, you know transfer portal stuff. Got you go case by case. There's there's shades of gray, and not everybody's si- uh, scenario is the same, and that's something I know we want uh, we want cut and dry answers on everything, but it just it doesn't happen. Well, we've got spring football around the corner. I think it'll bring up some more opportunities to talk about the, the transfer portal, swinging both uh, outward and inward for Penn State as they continue to evaluate their roster. I don't think we've heard the last of the portal. Sean, I think that's going to do it for us. I want to thank Eric Wilson on behalf of the show for joining you for that conversation. I'm sure it will be good, and I will listen to it. I have not yet. Uh, aside from that, again, congrats to the Super Bowl champs uh, out, of, out of Happy Valley here. 
all three of them. And we'll be back next week. I think we'll bring you two episodes. We're going to talk a little bit about the running back position. I think we'll have some more guests on the show. All that coming your way right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.